Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 103, and we're going to talk about condensation and building out your van on the road and someplace called the Lost Coast. We're also going to have a product review of an electric bicycle that isn't very good. (laughs) And we're going to have a resource recommendation about something that may seem impossible, but yet can help you out when you need it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Very happy to be talking at you once again. And thanks to all of you who got back to me about the show notes. <laughs> Last week, I made a, an offhand remark about, does anyone ever look at the show notes? And apparently you do, because I got lots of responses saying just that. So I will definitely keep paying attention to the show notes, and maybe we'll add even more since there are people who actually read them. I have an ambulance. I know. I'm so tired of saying it. You're tired of hearing it. But I am learning an awful lot through this ambulance process, and I think a lot of it can help you guys, especially folks who are just kind of dipping their toes into the water of van life and not really sure which direction they want to go. So I wanted to tell you guys what it was like to build out a van when you don't have a garage or a driveway or access to power or anything like that. And I've learned some things that were unexpected And so I thought I would share them. Now, when you do this, when you buy a van that you're going to build out, if you don't have a place to work on it, you have to make a lot of adjustments. Your van is now also your workshop and your storage area. So everything you buy that you're going to put in your van has to fit in the van somehow. And this can be a real problem. Now, as it happens, I do have a storage unit and I am putting some stuff in there. And I'm really glad because if I didn't have that, I'm not really sure how I could do this. So that's my first tip for somebody doing this. If you're going to be in the same location relatively for any period of time, it is probably worth it to rent a storage unit. It doesn't have to be huge, but you're going to have big things that are going to be in the way. My biggest struggle with these things are boards, panels. I have a big piece of masonite that I'm using for things. I have a big roll of carpet. I have a big roll of felt. I have all these just massive quantities of things that I know I'm going to need, but man, there's no place to put them in the van. So they're in the storage unit, and I really highly suggest that if you can do that. Another thing to consider is space to actually build stuff. I did something that I would have thought was impossible, but I built an Ikea bed in my van, entirely in my van. It was kind of a challenge. I brought the box in the van, shut the doors, and then built the bed in the van. And then I realized that I had put it in the wrong orientation. I actually had to flip it over and... Wow, it was difficult, and I'm very glad that I did that when I did it. Now, a little bit of backstory. This ambulance I needed to convert into a legal RV fairly quickly so I could get it registered, and one of the things I needed to have was a bed. So I bought a cheap IKEA bed. It was never meant to be the permanent bed, but I needed to have it in there and working. And I'm glad I did it then because now I realize that it's such a big object that I really needed to have nothing else in the way. Now, 
of course, this is an ambulance. It's already got cabinets in it and everything. It, it doesn't have as much space as an empty van, but still, I was glad I did that early. So you might ask then, okay, well, why not just like park in a parking lot and work out the back of the van? Well, yeah, this is something you can do. If you're in an area where you feel safe, you can totally work out of the back of the van. Honestly, if you pull up to Home Depot or someplace like that, open the back doors, and then like pull out sawhorses or something and start working on stuff, I don't think anyone's going to give you a hard time. At least for one day, maybe two. If you're there all week, yeah, someone might say something, and you could just say, oh, I'm, I'm just working on this stuff here so I can constantly run into Home Depot and buy things, because that is reality. I've mentioned many times that I'm actually working out of Menards much of the time, and no one has ever bothered me, but I haven't really gotten aggressive. You know, I've, I've always been kind of working in the van. Sometimes I'll have the doors open and I'll be standing outside the van to work on something, but no one's given me any trouble at all there. The thing that really concerns me about working outside the van is that if there's any kind of a problem, for example, somebody comes up and is upset or they ask me to move or whatever, it's not necessarily something I can do quickly. I then have all this stuff everywhere and it's going to take me a while to put it back in the van and drive off. And that's what's really stopped me from doing that. Anytime I've done anything like that, I've tried to do it in my own parking lot, which is not allowed, but hey, it's my parking lot. Uh, I, I, I am renting a space. It's part of my condo. If somebody has an issue with me, they can come and talk to me about it. And I think I can work it out. Another issue is power. If you don't have access to power, well, guess what the first thing you have to install in your van is? Yes, that's right. Power. And if you're building out a van without any other access to power, yeah, I'm going to recommend you get an inverter. Oh. <laughs> I started out this podcast being completely against inverters. You don't need an inverter. And in my NV200, I had one. I never used it. Now, well... It's just easy for things. And, and what I realized is, is that while inverters use a lot of power, they're super convenient. So you can overcome their lack of efficiency with just a bigger battery. And in just the two years since I started the podcast, batteries are much cheaper. So when you start building out a van, you are probably going to need power tools unless you're a heck of a lot more crafty than I am. And most power tools either run off AC or their battery chargers run off AC. And so that's what I do. And I've actually got a combination of the two. There aren't very many 12-volt tools that really work. I mean, there are some, but you're definitely going to have a battery drill. You're almost certainly going to have a jigsaw. You've got to have a way to power those things. So first thing you install is the power. Here's the thing I noticed that I really didn't anticipate. When your van is your workshop, it gets beat up. So I've installed some cabinets and things and I'm starting to notice scuffs and like little tears and stuff. And it's from me working in the van. It's from me moving lumber around and parts and all this stuff. Unfortunately, if you're going to build out your van while you're living in it or on the road, it's going to get beat up. It's going to get beat up more than if you have total control over the situation. For example, that Ikea bed I built. Well, normally I would have built that in a garage or something and then put it in the van. But because I built it in the van, I was waving around boards and drills and many, many Allen wrenches. And yeah, sometimes they hit the cabinets or hit the ceiling and stuff. So... I'm now in a situation where my van is never going to be pristine on the inside. It's always going to look lived in because, well, it kind of has been. And of course, it's 10 years old and it was an ambulance, so it's seen a lot of stuff anyway. Another problem is storing stuff like screws 
and nails and sandpaper and all the different adhesives you have and sealant and paint and all this stuff it takes up a ton of space and honestly i keep losing stuff i try to be organized i have boxes for certain things but wow it's so easy to lose stuff what i would really like to be able to do is take the bed out and just work on stuff without the bed in there, but I don't have any place to put it. And, uh, I, you know, my thought now is that what I'm going to try to do is uh, go somewhere for a week, like maybe a campground or something like that, and just get as much of the big stuff done as I possibly can, and then work on the little stuff as is needed. And so perhaps the hardest part of this, and this isn't that much of a surprise, is how much longer it takes. If you don't have a garage or even a driveway, you've got to put everything away every night. You've got to make it so that you can still, at least in my case, still drive the van while you have all this stuff in there. And it's just taking a really long time. When I had the garage and I could work on the other van, all I had to do was bring the van in the garage and instantly get to work. Now I have to get in the van, drive somewhere that I can work on it, rearrange everything so I can reach what I'm working on that day, and then spend a whole lot of time looking for that bolt or that screw or that bit of sandpaper that I know I bought. I know it's in there somewhere, but man, I can't find it because I've worked on 16 other things since the last time I used that sandpaper. All that said, is this doable? Absolutely. I am making progress on the ambulance. As of now, I have heat. I have a nice stove top that I just installed that has electric ignition. I'll tell you about that in a, an upcoming episode. I have a bed. I have water, uh, ways to charge things. I mean, basically, I am good to go with this thing. If, if I had to go on a trip next week, it would take me half an hour to get on the road and I'm good to go. It's not neat. There's a lot of trim missing and all that stuff, but functionally, I have made a lot of progress. It has just taken a really long time. So don't take this as discouragement. Just take this as a word to the wise. If you're going to build out your van while you're living in it, while you're on the road, plan on it taking a lot more time and think a lot about logistics. Where are you going to put things while you're working on it? And there are solutions. There are solutions. You could get a big roof box and here's a solution that I haven't done but might work. You can rent a U-Haul trailer and put all your stuff in that. Trailer rentals are pretty cheap. Tech Talk. This starts with a little bit of a story. Uh, I have a friend named Susie from Colorado. We've traveled a lot and we get along very well. And Susie hasn't traveled all that much other than the times she's been with my travel group. And she grew up in Denver. And the whole time she was growing up in Denver, she never really understood what coasters were for. You know, coasters you put under drinks. She just didn't get that. Like, what was it for? Is it in case you accidentally spill a little? And then she came to visit me in Chicago, and I handed her a cold Diet Coke and a coaster, and she was amazed to notice that condensation formed on the outside of the Coke can and dripped down into the coaster. And she said, oh, that's what coasters are for. Because in Denver, they don't have condensation. <laughs> if you take a Coke can out of the fridge in Denver, it's not going to have any water on the outside of it because the air's too dry. There's no water in it. But... Some folks who have lived in Denver and then get a van and then drive somewhere back east or down south suddenly have this mystery water called condensation all over the inside of their van. Now, we've talked about it a lot, and if you've ever done anything with van life, this is a topic that comes up. But 
I have seen a lot of people posting like, oh my God, something's horribly wrong. There's water on the inside of the windows. And I think what's happening is a lot of first-time van lifers are entering winter or cold weather for the first time, and now they're seeing this phenomenon. Now, to be clear, while condensation on the inside of your van is going to be a lot less somewhere dry, it's still going to be there. Because you are the source of the water. You breathe out a lot of water. And if you have a dog and a partner, that's even more water. So you're producing more than enough water to condense in the windows. Condensation happens when the, the glass or metal is colder than the dew point. The dew point is the point at which water will come out of the air, basically. You're in your van, you cook up some spaghetti, whatever, you go to bed, everything's dry, and then overnight the temperature drops, the metal and glass get cold, and then water will come out of the air into that glass. And the more water there is in the air, the higher the temperature of the dew point. So what do you do about this? Well, the biggest answer, and the one that a lot of people just won't accept, especially in winter, is ventilation. Humidity inside your van is almost always going to be less than the humidity outside the van. So one way to get water out of the air in your van is to replace the air. And you do that with ventilation. Now in the winter, people are like, oh, but that's gonna let out all my heat. And well, yes. Heat also carries moisture. When you ventilate in the winter, you are letting warm, moist air out of your van. And that's good. That's what you want to do. That's why there are bathroom fans in houses. They're mostly to let the shower moisture escape out of the house, which is super important when it's cold because that water will get places and condense and then you have problems. So ventilate. Have the max air fan going even in the winter. Have a window cracked, not only for carbon monoxide concerns, but to get that moisture out of there. And if you're like, well, now I'm cold, the answer is you need more heat. And preferably a dry heat, like a diesel heater or something like that. Propane heaters, I should say catalytic propane heaters like buddy heaters, produce a lot of moisture on their own. So they're not going to dry anything out. But a forced air propane heater that exhausts out the side or a diesel heater will produce dry air and that will help dry things out. Just so you understand, condensation isn't good. It's not the worst thing in the world, but over time it can cause problems. You really, really, really need to ventilate. That's how you deal with it. And you're always going to have a little bit of condensation. If you have a light mist on the inside of your windshield when you wake up, don't even worry about it. That's not a problem. You can squeegee it off, you can wipe it off, or you can just Leave it alone, it'll go away by the time you're done cooking breakfast. Tales from the road. Oh, yeah, so travel, travel, travel is fun, huh? When I first moved to Chicago, I wanted my kids to come out and visit, and this was in December of 2010, if I remember correctly, so a while ago. And we thought, well, let's have some fun. So we actually booked an Amtrak from Boston all the way to Chicago. And we had the big family sleeper room in the back. And, you know, this was going to be great. This is one of those really cool travel across America things, even though the train ride between Chicago and Boston is fairly ugly. But not that that mattered, because as it happened, there was a massive snowstorm that night. And by the time we got to the train station, which I believe was South Station in Boston, the train had been canceled. And, well... I still needed to get back to Chicago, and the kids still had Christmas off, so I talked with my dad, who's an adventurous type, 
And he said, well, why don't I just drive you to New York? And the reason that made sense was because our train from Boston actually went to New York, where we changed trains and then went to Chicago. So he rented a car. He actually rented a Jeep so we could drive through the snow. (laughs) And we drove to New York. And we were super early because, of course, cars are faster than trains. And everything looked fine. And we waited in the station. We had a couple-hour wait. And then with 20 minutes before boarding, they canceled that train, too. And now I'm in New York with my kids with no transportation, and then I get a call from my dad. It turns out he thought that might happen, and he just stayed in the parking lot waiting for the train to leave. Like, how good is my dad? He's pretty darn good. At any rate, we did a little bit of shuffling, and we found another train that we could get on that would actually get us out of the city. And we boarded that, and all was great. We headed up through Pennsylvania, and then the train came to a screeching halt and then went backwards into the station where they informed us that the train in front of us had been blown off a bridge right outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Now it was an empty freight car train, but the wind was so bad it blew the cars into the river and they decided that we shouldn't go across. And I'm okay with that. That, That's one of those decisions I'm okay with. But then I was in Pennsylvania with my kids and no transportation. So Amtrak said, okay, that's all right. We're going to get you there. We're going to put you on a bus to Pittsburgh. Well, Harrisburg and Pittsburgh really aren't that close, and we had paid for a sleeper on the train, but whatever. We have to get to Chicago. So we wait a couple hours, they put us on this bus, and then boom, we're off. West I-70, we're heading out there, and then bang, the bus stops, there's tons of traffic, and we look ahead, and it's one of those tunnels. If you've ever driven I-70, which is the nation's first turnpike or first interstate turnpike, there are these pretty impressive tunnels. And there was one in front of us, and what was happening was that ice was building up on the outside of the tunnel and falling and crushing cars. So they decided that our bus shouldn't go through there. So they made a detour, and we went around the tunnel, off the interstate, to some other train station... (laughs) And we got on the original train that we were supposed to be on. (laughs) I don't even remember the details of how we caught up with it or how that worked. But I know we ended up in Pittsburgh on the original train we were supposed to be on, which we then rode from Pittsburgh to Chicago in the sleeper car. But rather than having the adventure we thought we were going to have, we had quite the different one. And by the time we got to the train, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and all we did was sleep until we arrived in Chicago. So this whole time, my wife is furious at me for having us go through all these weather-related disasters. But hey, we did make it to Chicago in time for Christmas, and heck, we could have been a Hallmark movie. product review. Hey, this thing is not great. (laughs) All right. This is a Razor, R-A-Z-O-R, UB1 seated electric scooter. This is a little tiny electric bicycle, except it kind of isn't a bicycle. It doesn't have any pedals. It's kind of hard to explain. It's like a stand-up scooter, except you sit on it. And it's really a great concept. The thing folds up really small, and then the seat becomes a handle. And you can easily just, like, carry it like a briefcase onto an elevator or whatever and take it to your office and then charge it up. According to the specs, it has a 250-watt motor. It uses a 36-volt lithium battery, and it'll go up to 13.5 miles an hour. And 
it's tiny. So I thought, well, heck, this might be a good thing for van life. I mean, this thing folds up so small that I could have fit it in my NV200 with no problem. So it was on sale on Amazon for 250 bucks, and I picked it up and took it around, and I've been messing around with it a bit. And, well, I'm afraid that I can't give it a good report. So according to the advertising, it is good for up to 40 minutes of constant driving. So at 13.5 miles an hour for 40 minutes, you might expect it to go 10 miles or maybe 8 yeah, no. Uh, I can get less than one mile out of it. I did an experiment where I rode the bike from where we live to my wife's office, which is one mile away, and it was just about completely dead by the time I got to her office. It doesn't do hills. It starts off great, but it ends up going really, really, really slow, and ultimately... I can't recommend it for anyone, really. Uh, it would be a fun thing for the kids to play with in the backyard, but if you're using this to get yourself anywhere more than half a mile away, I don't think it's going to work. Now, caveat, I am a large human. I weigh well over 200 pounds, and the limit on this thing is 220 pounds. And obviously, the more weight you have, the harder this motor has to work. So I am at the very upper limit of what this thing should be able to do, and, well, it doesn't do it very well. If you weigh 100 pounds, this might be much, much better. But don't expect a comfortable ride. Though it has a pneumatic front wheel, the back wheel is solid rubber, and you feel every little crack in the road at the slightest imperfections in the pavement your spine's gonna know about it so do i recommend this no i think it's pretty obvious that i don't but there may be somebody out there who has a need for a very small electric ride-on scooter slash bicycle that'll fit in any vehicle and this might be it however I mentioned that I paid $250 for it. Looking at it today on Amazon, $580. Holy cow, that is a ripoff. There are much, much better ways to do this. That said, I will have a link in the show notes for those of you who somehow don't believe me <laughs> or maybe have that one edge case where this is the right thing. It's the Razor UB1 Seated Electric Scooter. And I don't know what I'm going to do with mine, but I don't think I'm going to put it in my van. A place to visit. So this is a place that I have not been to. This is a bucket list place for me, but it's called the Lost Coast. And if you live in Northern California, you might know where I'm talking about. Northern California, very Northern California, way above San Francisco. The highway kind of leaves the coast for a while as it heads into Oregon. And the reason is that it is so mountainous there and the topography is so varied that it would have been incredibly expensive to put the highway there and there really aren't many people living there, so they simply went around this whole region. And that has created the Lost Coast, and it's a nearly pristine section of Pacific Northwest coastal country with incredible trees and wilderness, and it's like the only place left like this. And you can go visit it. There are some towns there, 
but they're very, very small and uh, very isolated. I imagine that they have their own culture that is probably different from California's. Now, this is the kind of place that you're going to need to do a bit of hiking to see the best stuff. It is not built out. I mean, that's one of its appeals. They have a trail called the... <laughs> Lost Coast Trail. It's 25 miles long, and it's a uh, it's a hike. It is definitely going to wear you out, and I I would have to get in a lot better shape to even attempt it. There are some towns up there that you can stay at, and there's even an abandoned lighthouse at Punta Gorda. But I think one of the most cool things there are these things called candelabra trees. Now these are redwoods that, because of the unique growing conditions they're in. They didn't grow straight up. They grew like candelabras. And for those of you not old enough to know who Liberace was, a candelabra is kind of a candle that holds many candlesticks. So you can think of a Hanukkah menorah, except it has more than one set of arms, if that makes any sense. It's a tree with a lot of arms. Imagine like an octopus with all its arms up and each arm was holding a candle. <laughs> that's a candelabra. Anyway, that's... <laughs> The trees look like that, okay? They could have called them the hands-up octopus trees. That would have worked just as well. I have perhaps delved too deep into this. But it's, it's a very surreal, very cool place. These massive trees with all these weird arms. What a wonderful place for photography. And how nice to kind of visit a pristine bit of California. You know, this whole section of coast hasn't been built up. And now hopefully never will be because it's all publicly owned. So I'll have a link in the show notes, but you really don't need it. It's the lost coast of California. You can ask around, you can Google it, but if you are up for a wilderness type of adventure, I think you should add it to your bucket list too. Resource recommendation. Now this is a weird resource and I've gone back and forth on this, but I, I want you to consider this resource. Maybe not necessarily adopt it just because I said so. And that resource is Costco. You could also throw BJ's in there or Sam's Club too, that kind of thing, the big box stores. Now these stores were created with the idea that people would pay a membership, belong to the store, and they would buy things in bulk. Like you wouldn't go in there and buy a head of lettuce, you'd buy three or six heads of lettuce. And because you were buying in that quantity, you could get a discount. That's the whole concept. And it has pretty much kept up with that. I mean, seriously, if you're going to go buy lettuce at Costco, you're not coming out of there with one head. It's not possible. So for a van life person, it would seem like Costco wasn't all that useful because we don't have space for three heads of lettuce unless you eat an awful lot of lettuce. But there are other things at Costco that might make it worthwhile for you to have a membership. Now, memberships are 60 bucks a year, five bucks a month, which doesn't sound like that much, except that, you know, in order to make it worth it to shop there, you either need to save $60 over the course of a year over what you would pay somewhere else, or there has to be something there that you can't get anywhere else. And, well, both things are possible. First, if you have a gasoline motor, Costco almost always has the cheapest gas around. Now, this means there's often big lines, which isn't necessarily great. But if you're driving around the country, if there's a Costco nearby, you know you can get gas at at least a reasonable price compared to stations around it. That could easily save you 60 bucks a year. In some cases, it's 10 cents or even 15 cents lower, but it varies wildly, wildly. You really have to do some research there. And no, they don't have diesel. At least I've never seen one with diesel. 
So this is for gasoline folks only. Another thing they have is stuff that you can't get anywhere else. In my ambulance, my new fridge is mostly freezer now because I have a microwave. I decided that I'm going to spend a little bit more time focusing on frozen foods. And Costco has a lot of great frozen foods that I have seen nowhere else. Now, again, they're large quantities. In fact, I bought hot dogs there last week and I had to buy 40 40 hot dogs and that was the smallest way i could buy them at costco but you know what 40 hot dogs will fit in my freezer and while i don't think i would ever want that many in my van uh, it could work if you were traveling with kids or something hey that might work what i really like though are these frozen bowls of soup and unusual high quality frozen meals that you can get there now, again, you need a big freezer. You have to be able to store all this stuff. I get that. They also have the same with dry goods. Like, they have fancy ramens and stuff like that. I think, more importantly, they have electronics and tools and fixtures, like LED lights and things like that, that are really hard to find other places. So, I think that might be a value, too. Two other things. One is... Their travel services are very reasonably priced. Now, I'm a travel agent. Technically, Costco is my competitor, even though it doesn't actually work like, out like that. I get discounts at car rental places. Like, Hertz has a code for me because I'm a travel agent. I can't beat Costco's price with my discount. It's always cheaper for me to rent a car with Costco. Now, that may not come up very much in van life, but they do have a whole range of travel services that might be of use to you. Unfortunately, their tire department, which is excellent, doesn't tend to carry the sizes of tires that vans use. They didn't have any tires for my NV200. They don't have any for my Sprinter. You might get lucky, but I don't think we can rely on that. However, they always have... The $1.50 hot dogs. And you know what? That's a pretty darn good deal. If you're having a lean week and yet you want a giant hot dog for $1.50, Costco is there for you. And depending on where you are in the country, you don't even need a membership to go get that hot dog. That varies. Uh, and the same is true for the pharmacy. Some states don't allow pharmacy to be a membership thing. It has to be available to the public. So some pharmacies are open to everybody. But I, I want to mention the pharmacy specifically because Costco pharmacies are the same all across the country. And if you use them, you're in a nationwide network of pharmacies. And that could be an advantage to somebody who moves around a lot. Most other pharmacies are at least somewhat regional and you may not find them everywhere. But Costco is pretty much everywhere. Although, obviously, in more rural parts of the country, they'll be a little bit harder to find. Just give it a thought. Costco takes Visa now, so it's much easier to pay for things. There's an ATM at the front of the store that doesn't actually charge a fee. That's another bonus they have. If you need money out of an ATM, theirs doesn't charge a fee. I, I don't know. I, for 60 bucks a month for me, it's worth it to have a Costco membership. There are some advantages, but you have to decide for yourself. So I'm not going to have a link in the show notes for Costco because holy cow. Just a quick bit of van life news, because there have been two different news items that came up this week. First one is that DJI, the company that makes most drones that are sold in the U.S., has been put on a blacklist by the U.S. government. Now, that sounds like they're going to ban DJI drones, which, but that isn't what it is. These blacklists exist for certain governmental organizations. And the concern is that DJI is a Chinese company and that there is software inside the drones that reports back to the Chinese government. 
and there is some truth to this. I'm not I'm not saying that's not true. There is some weird internet communication going on in these drones. But they're not going to be banned. If you have a DJI drone, you can still use it, and that's all going to be fine. It's just that the federal government is trying to crack down on some Chinese businesses that maybe aren't completely on the up and up. And you can use that information to make a decision on which kind of drone you buy. For me, yes, I have a DJI drone, and yeah, it could be spying on me. But, you know, if China really wants pictures of Lunar Lake, well, heck, they can have them. The other bit of news, which is California-specific, is that their CARB, C-A-R-B legislation, just banned generators, specifically small generators, the kind that you would use in a van. Gasoline generators are going away in California. We're not entirely sure how this is going to shake out, if old ones are going to be grandfathered in. Right now, it doesn't look like it. So if you have a nice, quiet Honda generator that you've been using in your van, you might not be able to do that in California. There's a lot of resistance to this. We'll see how this shakes out. But it's something to think about that small gasoline-powered motors, which is what they're banning. It's not just generators. It's strimmers and backpack leaf blowers and all those kind of things. Well, yeah, you might have to really start thinking about bigger batteries because you're not going to be able to just fire up the generator whenever you need it. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 103. We have a Discord channel. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram and even Twitter. And you can find all that at our website at builttogo.com. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember this quote by my friend and colleague Ambrose Bierce. Who never doubted, never half believed. Where doubt is, there truth is, it is her shadow. <laughs>